Well, good morning. If you have a Bible, I invite you to take it up and turn with me to the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs uh, will be in Proverbs chapter 19. If you're unfamiliar with your way around the Bible or you don't have a Bible, uh, we, there is, you should be able to see a book that is in front of you, and that is a Bible. And you can find this reading on page 527 of that particular Bible. Or we do have a Grove Church app, which we would recommend you download. You can find out a whole bunch of information about who we are as a church, but also there's a Bible tab there, and you can find, you click on the Bible tab, and it'll take you to Proverbs chapter 19. If you haven't been with us, or you've missed a few weeks, then uh, we have gone back to the classroom. Wislet 101, we've gone back to the classroom of wisdom, where we said that we wanted to go into the, if you like, go into the classroom of wisdom in order that we might be able to learn from the wisdom that comes from God, the wisdom that comes from heaven. The, the theme is pretty simple. It goes like this. If there was to be a theme that I want us to walk away from, having gone through this course together, it is this, that God made you, that God loves you, that God wants to guide you so that you can be wise. That God wants you to live a life of wisdom. None of us comes into this room this morning and says, I want to be foolish. I, I, I want to live a life that's completely stupid. That's, that's my goal. None of us says that. It's right? So we say, what we're saying is that God is the one who created all things. God made all things, including you and I. That God loves us, most of all, by giving the gift of his son, Jesus, to die, to live the life we couldn't live, to die the sacrificial death that our sins deserve, to be raised again to life. He, he loves us, which means he's for you. God made you, he's for you, and he wants to guide you. He has given us his word. He has given us the wisdom that comes only from heaven because God wants you to be wise. He wants us to be wise. And so each week what we've been doing is, as we've, we've been taking um, different subjects, as, if you like, through, from the book of Proverbs in order that we might understand the wisdom of God. Last week, we spent time, uh, I, I said last week and this week, we were actually looking at, um, if you like, the different sides of the same coin. Last week, we spent our time thinking about work. Last week, we spent our time thinking about work and the significance of it and the, the importance of it. And this week, we will be on the flip side of that, which is rest and the significance and the importance of rest in the life of of, of humanity, but especially in the life of the Christian. I, I was reading this week a, a piece by a gentleman by the name of Joshua Becker. He's a writer, and he wrote this piece called The Lost Practice of Resting One Day a Week. He's not a person of faith that I'm aware of. He begins the article by, and I just want to read to you a little bit of what he has to say, a few of his observations. He begins with a quote from Benjamin Franklin, which is this, He that can take rest is greater than he that can take a city. Then he writes, Ask any physician and they will tell you that rest is essential for physical health. When the body is deprived of sleep, it is unable to rebuild and to recharge itself adequately. Your body requires rest. Ask any athlete and they will tell you that rest is essential for physical training. Rest is needed for muscles to repair themselves and to prevent injury. It's true whether you run marathons, pitch baseballs, or climb rocks, your muscles require rest. Ask any of yesterday's philosophers, and they will tell you that rest is essential for your mind. Leonardo da Vinci said that every now and then, go away, have a little relaxation, for when you come back, your work and your judgment will be sure. And Ovid, the Roman poet, said, take rest, 
A field that has rested gives a bountiful crop. Your mind requires rest, he writes. Ask most religious leaders, and they will tell you that rest is essential for your soul. Buddhism, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Baha'i, and Wiccan, among others, teach the importance of getting aside, setting aside a period of time to rest. Your soul requires rest. Ask many corporate leaders, and they will tell you that rest is essential for productivity. Forbes magazine recently wrote, You can only work so hard and do so much in a day. Everybody needs rest to recharge. Your productivity requires rest. Physicians, athletes, philosophers, poets, religious leaders, and corporate leaders all tell us the same thing. Take time to rest. It's absolutely essential for a balanced and healthy life. Yet, when you ask people in today's frenzied culture if they intentionally set aside time for rest, most will tell you that they are too busy. Even fewer would say that they set aside any concentrated time, 12 to 24 hours, for rest. They just are, there are just too many things to get done, too many demands, too many responsibilities, too many bills, too much urgency. Nobody can afford to waste time resting in today's results-oriented world. Unfortunately, this hectic pace is causing damage to our quality of life. We are destroying every sense of our being, body, mind, and soul. There is a reason we run faster, work harder, but only fall farther behind. Our lives have become too full, too out of balance. Somewhere along the way, we lost the essential practice of concentrated rest. It's not an intellectual issue. From every aspect, we know that we need to have rest. And yet, why are we so tired? Why are our lives so stinking busy? I mean, we, we know it. We, we say to one another, how, how are you? Oh, busy. How was your week? Full. Whew. And we do, it, we, we do it all the time. We're all busy. All busy. I was speaking to a sixth grade boy recently. And we were at football practice. And I said to him, <clears throat> we were just chatting. And I, he said he had to leave practice early. I said, oh, you do? Why is that? Well, I, I, I had soccer after school. And now I'm at football practice. I have to leave early to go to hockey. Sixth grade, one day, one child. I thought, how does his body hold up? Mine wouldn't, but I'm old. It's busy. This is Maple Grove. This is the suburbs of the Twin Cities. A Christian contemplative, Thomas Merton, says, if we have no rest, God will not bless our work. There's something in the way in which God has designed us, the way God has made us, that requires rest. God made you. He knows you. He loves you. He is for you. He wants to guide you. And he says you need rest. You need rest. So why do we need this rest? <clears throat> Well, the simple answer I just gave you, which is that's how God was. That's how God made us. Last week we looked um, at the significant. We looked at this passage last week, and I want to go back to it uh, and make the same observations, but a different emphasis. So, Genesis chapter two. This is the Genesis chapter one is the creation account, um, and, and and then we begin Genesis two. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. 
By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all of the work of creating that he had done. And so last week, we had made three observations from this particular passage. One is that God worked. And so therefore, because we as as humanity are made in the image of God, what that means is you are made to work, that you are best alive, you are most alive when you are working, when you are putting, and it's not just employment, right? It's when you're putting your hands and your heart into something of significance, when you're working, when you're at work. And then we recognize that then God, he finished the work that he had done. Now, if you go back into the... um, if you go back into chapter one of Genesis, what you'd find is after he created each of the different things, then he said that it was good, and he said that it was good, and then when he'd finished all of it, as he said he looked at his, the work that he had done, and he said it was very good. It was very good that he'd finished the work, and then he rested. Which means what? Was God tired? No, he didn't rest because he just was spent like I would have been. He, was, he, was, he rested because he was setting us an example of one, that he was complete, he was content with the work that he had done. He'd finished the work and it was good and therefore he rested. He worked and then he rested. He was content with what he had made. This is, if you like, if you remember, we talked about this, the rhythm of Eden, the rhythm and pace of Eden. There was morning and there's evening and then there was morning. There was evening and there was morning. That there is work that is to be done, but there's also rest that needs to be had. And this is the rhythm of Eden, the pace of Eden. The Bible, and the Bible, just to be clear, the, the, when we're talking about rest in the Bible, it's not just talking about sleeping. It's not, just, it's not talking just about sleeping or taking a nap. In the Bible, it's not talking about just the absence of activity. That rest in, in the Bible, for the, for the Christian, it means to have a contentedness of soul, that we rest, that we are at rest. In order to get at a contentedness of soul, there has to be sleep, there has to be an absence of activity, but ultimately there's a deeper rest. Look, in, in, in the Proverbs 19 that's in front of you, Proverbs 19, verse 23, the fear of the Lord leads to life, then one rests content untouched by trouble. When we fear the Lord, remember the, the, the whole premise of, of the book of Proverbs is that the, the wisdom comes from the Lord. The, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of life. When we honor him, when we respect him, then one rests content. Then one rests content. Then one rests satisfied. It's a deep satisfaction of our labor and our work. It is a deep satisfaction that happens when we are at work because we are deeply satisfied in God's work on our behalf. There is for the Christian this rest of soul that we are to go into life with, that we are to have every day, that God has made us for, this this deep soul rest that he wants us to have. But why is rest so hard for us? Why is it so challenging for us to be able to, to get this? There's a few things. Um, there's an article I was reading out of Q Ideas, and, and there, th- these concepts came from that particular article, and I, I just want to share them with you because I thought they were insightful. One of the reasons, it's some of the cultural issues of the, of the sort of air we breathe, the world that we live in, that keep us from resting, one is this, because of insecurity, because of insecurity. 
insecurity in the workforce. Jobs are more insecure now than they've ever been. Because at any point, any company could send your division, uh, your, whole, your whole division overseas. You could be outsourced. At any point, people seem to be just indis- or dispensable to companies. And there's a sense of insecurity that comes. And so people work and they work and they work because they're feeling so insecure. The second reason is inequity. Inequity in the workplace. It used to be that the people at the top of an organization would earn 20 to 30 percent more than those who are at the bottom of the organization. Those who study these things say now that those who are at the top of an organization make 100 to 200 percent more than those who are at the bottom of the organization. There's, a, there's this inequity that happens in the job place, which means, but at what comes with that, if you're going to make 100 to 200 more, this is it. there's an expectation of all of your time and all of your energy, but you will work long hours and you will work endless hours. And if you think that you just want to stop, don't, then go right ahead because there's a long line of people who are happy to step in and take your place, right? But it also means that there's this inequity that those at the bottom, there isn't enough for them to live on, to make ends meet. And so they're not just working one job, but they're working two in order that they're able. And so everybody's overworked, the people at the top and the people at the bottom in order that they might be able to thrive, in order that they might be able to live. And so they're tired, they're overworked because of insecurity, because of inequity. And thirdly, because of technology, because of technology, you know this, because we can work from anywhere now because of modern technology, which is fantastic. But that means if we can work from anywhere, it means that we're working from everywhere. We're, we're always willing to work. There's an article by the American Psychology Association that they put out as they did a study on this, and they said that more than half of the employed adults say that they check their work messages at least once a day over the weekends. They say that, it's, that bef- they check their email or their work-related messages before work and after work during the week, over half, the, half of the employed people in America. They said over half of the people in, in the, who are employed in America check their work-related emails or messages even when they're sick, right? More than four out of 10 workers reported doing something, doing some sort of work-related activity while on vacation, right? Because we have this ability to always be plugged in, always be in touch, then we have a hard time setting it aside in the evenings or in the mornings or when we're at sick or when we're on vacation and it keeps us from rest. Finally is this, the final one is identity. We are the first culture in the history of the world that says you define yourself, that you have the opportunity to be whatever you wanna be. You can go define yourself. You can go be it, and then we go after and we go to chase it. And you know what that does? That puts a significant amount of pressure on your employment, on your job, on what you do, because it becomes who you are. It, it puts pressure for, the, for your job to be, to satisfy, to bring happiness, to bring, if nothing else, a lot of money, so that you can say it's worth it somehow. We have tremendous pressure to overwork, to overschedule, to overplan. And here's the bizarre thing, because this is so funny to me. This is so suburban, right? So, we have, and sometimes we, bear, we wear it as a badge of honor. Like yesterday, I was leaving the football field. We, had, we finished our last football game. I was talking to one of the other parents, and I said, hey, uh, you know, a great season, blah, 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 a lot of fun. And, and then it was more than that. I mean, we, I didn't say blah, 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 uh, right? 
Does your other son play? Hell yeah, we're going right there now. We're going to, and then we got to, we, then we got this party thing. We got to go from there to there. And then we got hockey tonight. And it was, just, he's like, I said, well, that's a full day. And he goes, yeah, you know, that's how, that's life though, right? As if somehow, if I just can brag about all the things that we have going on, and it's this bizarre, screwed up sort of badge of honor that our schedule is so packed because we're running our people and our places all over the place. Oh, I just wish I could just sit at home. You probably could. But we don't. Because we find a sense of our identity wrapped up in all of these types of things. Warren Buffett said this, the difference between successful people and really successful people is that really successful people say no to almost everything. That your success, according to Warren Buffett, is that you say no to a whole bunch of stuff. You know what to say yes to, and you say yes to very few things. And then, and that, and God says, Warren Buffett says, hey, you need to learn to say no to things. And God himself says, look, in Exodus, he gives instructions to his people and says this, this is how I want you to live in order to please me and for your best benefit. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor to do all your work, but on the seventh day is a day of Sabbath to the Lord, and on it you shall do no work. You need a Sabbath day, he says. There needs to be a Sabbath day. And he's not talking about not, not working as in, he, what he's saying is, this is the rhythm. Six days you have to work. It's important for you to work. You need to work. I made you to work. You're alive when you work, but you need to stop. But you need to find the rhythm for the way that I made you. God commands us to rest. This is not a luxury. It's not a nice thing to do. It is built into creation, and if we ignore it, we break down. If we choose to ignore the rhythms for which we were made, we will break down. We are more desperately in need of rest than ever before, and yet seem to be emotionally unable to rest. We need more than just taking days off. We need a deep soul rest that says, I'm okay. How do we get it? Where, where do we get this rest? In Matthew, the, the book of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says this, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Where does the rest come from? It comes from Jesus. It comes from him. It comes from Jesus himself. Jesus says, I have rest. I am your, the rest that you need. I want you to come to me. And if you've never come to Jesus, then you'll never be able to experience the deep soul rest that he is able to give. And some of you have come to him, and, you, and, you, and if you come to him and you're still not at rest, then you have failed to understand what you actually have in Jesus and what he has done for you. Or maybe you've just forgotten. Because, and, and, and the key, if you like, to our ability to rest is our ability to abide. John chapter 15, let me, let me share with you, let me remind you, for some of you, of this passage that Jesus, the way in which Jesus describes the relationship between his people and himself. In John chapter 15, he says this in verse one, I am the true vine, my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does not bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me 
as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The key to productivity is to abiding. The key to bearing fruit is what your, is the root. He says, if you're rooted in me, then I will help you bear much fruit. You want to be productive, then you need to abide in me. You need to rest in me. You need to be rooted in me because I am the one who will help you produce fruit. And if you're not resting in me, then you will not produce the fruit, the fruit that comes from faith. You know, Jesus, I wonder if you ever realized this, that Jesus was the most productive person in history. That Jesus, if productivity is simply this, the doing the right thing at the right time to produce the right results, productivity is doing the right thing at the right time to produce the right results, Jesus always placed his effort at the pace of his Father in heaven and produced great results. Jesus always was in tune with his Father. And he worked at the pace of his father because Jesus said, I'm not doing what, these words are not my words. These are words that came from heaven. This is the word of the father. And Jesus is at the pace of the father, which people didn't understand. They were always telling Jesus to go to other places, to do other things, to do something more significant, something more important. Jesus worked at the pace of his heavenly father and he was the most productive. He was doing the right things at the right time to produce the right results. Jesus, and people, the reason people wanted to follow Jesus wasn't just because he was interesting, although that he was. They followed him because he got stuff done, because they'd never seen somebody do this, do this stuff. They've never seen someone with the authority that he spoke. He was the most productive. You remember that, that story of the fishermen that were there, and they'd been fishing all night, and Jesus is on the shore, and then they come in, and these fishermen had caught nothing, and then he, he says, hey, just throw, just throw your nets on the other side. And, and they go, Okay. And then what happens? There's so many fish that they, they can't haul, hardly haul it in because Jesus is working at the pace and in line with the Father, his Father in heaven. Jesus is saying, come to me because I want you to walk in the pace. I want you to walk in the rhythms. I want you to walk in the grace of Eden. Listen to me, he says. And then he goes, and apart from me, you can do nothing. But we don't believe that, do we? We don't really believe that. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Look, like I can do some stuff, man. I can do some stuff. It goes against the American spirit. It goes immense against our, you know, meritocracy. I, look, I can, I can. It goes against pulling ourselves up from our bootstraps. It goes against if it's to be, it's up to me. It goes against all that. Jesus says, if without me, you can do nothing. Why? Because this is how you were made. You weren't made to be able to do everything. You weren't made with unlimited capacity. God made you and he knows your limitations. God loves you and he says, I want you to abide in me and I want to be able to guide you into rest. Will you just listen to me, he says. Just listen. Listen to me. When we fail to heed the wisdom that comes from heaven, then we arrogantly live like we have unlimited capacity. 
that these shoulders are big enough and strong enough to handle whatever comes along. That we can do it on our own. We, when we abide in Jesus, when we, arrest, when we rest in him, then it's hard because we have to admit our limitations. We have to say, I can't do everything. We have to say, I, I'm not able to do everything. I have to say, I can't be go, go, go all the time. I have to humble myself before him and admit my limitations. And then we have to trust God. When I'm abiding in him, then I'm trusting God that even though I'm at rest, God is still at work. If you don't believe that, then you won't be able to have the deep soul rest because there will be this nagging thing that goes on in the deep recesses of your soul that says, if I just do another email, if I just answer another text, if I just, but what about, and then these things come. Well, what about, is there gonna, are they gonna cover, did we do the thing? Did, we, did I cross the I? Did I, dot, did, did I dot the I? Did I cross the T? Did, did, and it's this inner conversation that never, never shuts off unless we are able to rest in him, to abide in him. And he says, I, I, am, I can't control everything. I can't do everything. I will rest and I will leave it at his feet because he is always working. It's trust. And then we will be able to rest. And then we will be able to abide. And then we will live lives that are a part of the wisdom that comes from heaven. You might be saying, well, how is it, how do I, am I abiding well? I don't, I don't even know. How do I know? Let me give you three questions that might be helpful. Three, uh, three x-ray questions is what I would call them. First is this, how is your prayer life? How's your prayer life? How's your conversation with God going? Are you and Jesus on speaking terms? Because rest often turns into prayer. When you're resting, often turns into the, how, or are you just sort of, hey, any prayer is good, we'll take prayer. But is most of your prayer like a drive-through window? Most, most of your prayer fast food where you're just going, God help, I'm running, God help, God help me. That's good, those prayers are important, but that's not sustainable. That won't get you to the deep place of rest. That you need deep abiding, that is not abiding. It's holding on, it's hanging on. You're gonna wear out your fingernails from gripping on the very edges of things. How's your prayer life? Are you abiding in prayer with the root, the branch? Second is this, are you hearing God's voice? Or put another way, what has God been saying to you? If God hasn't been speaking to you, then chances are you haven't been resting well in him. If you're not hearing God's voice, if you're not sensing God stirring in your heart, in your mind, in your life, then I would question whether you're actually resting, whether you're abiding well in him. Because rest equals revelation. When we're resting in him, when we're abiding in him, then we're slow enough, then we pause enough, then we're quiet enough to actually hear the very voice of God for our lives. And if you haven't been hearing the voice of God, then maybe it's because you're not abiding well. And thirdly is this, how is your trust life? When's the last time you repented for the arrogance of self-reliance? 
and said, God, I need to just, I just, for me, it's been this week because I, because I've been doing this, <laughs> I've been studying this stuff. And so it's like every day I'm like, oh, geez. All right. Yep. Here we go again. You know? And for me, this is a daily, this is this week at least, this has become a daily rhythm of going, God, I am built and wired to say, I can do it on my own. I can handle this. I can, but I can't, and I know that. And so therefore, it's a daily activity of coming and saying, God, I know I can't do this. I don't need so many daily reminders of the humble, the, uh, yeah, well, I, anyway. How's your trust life of coming and saying and repenting of the arrogance of self-reliance? This is how we can get to that deep soul rest that we all need so that we can therefore. But I want to challenge you this way, that maybe there needs to be some changes in the way in which you live your life that actually facilitate this. How well do you Sabbath? And, you know, the Sabbath was actually on a Saturday, not a Sunday, but how well do you take time in order that you might be able to have concentrated time to focus on rest for your life so that you can have a soul that is not running on empty because we're abiding in Jesus. Let me just give you some practical things. How can we rest? Let me just give you a few practical thoughts on this. Um, uh, pastor Tim Keller, he, he's retired now from a pastor in New York City. Uh, and, and somewhere along the journey, I don't know if I can't remember if this was written or if I heard him say this, but he had given several principles. These are his concepts. These are my words, right? Because it took his, anyway, that's what you're going to get. And he's talking about Sabbath rest. Concentrated time that we might be able to focus, that we might be able to, to thrive, that we might be able to. So hear this wisdom, right? And the first is this. What's the first thing we need to do when we start thinking about our time, our rest? He says, one is we need to, stay, we need to have concentrated time where we do nothing. Yep. Incidentally, uh, for those of you who have parent, or are parents here and for those of you who are grandparents here and you think about your, parent, your children or your grandchildren, um, what, what type of rhythm are you, what type of example are you setting for them in, your, in the way in which you're parenting them, right? Uh, or, or, will you, or is the testimony of the sixth grader that I talked to the testimony of your kid that's just all scheduled up because they don't want them to miss out somehow on some experience Well, maybe they just miss out on being a child, right? How are we, how are we rhythming? So first is the time to do nothing. Most people need some time every week that is unplanned and unstructured in which you can do whatever you feel like doing and just allow whatever comes up to just come up. You know, I, I, was, I was asked a, a, last, a couple weeks ago or a week or, two, or whatever, what, what are some of your hobbies? And I'm like, uh, my kids? I don't know. I mean, I, I don't have hobbies. I mean, that's not good. That's, that's not good. I'm going, I, I don't have a hobby. I don't know. I mean, what would I do if I could just do nothing? I'd probably just fall asleep on the couch. I don't know. But, you know, there is this, and it's, it's taken from a passage, you know, from the, from the practice in Israel of, of every, once every seven years that they would allow a field to no longer be used for, for crops, but allow it just to grow up, whatever comes up, so that it actually could replenish the nutrients that were actually in the field. That's exactly what's happened if you've ever been to, over to the Maple Grove High School. There was a football field that we didn't use this year. The reason is because it was torn up and nasty, and so therefore they let it grow up. It replenished what needed to be replenished. So now next year they can use the field. We need that. You need to create space in your life for just to do nothing so that, so that nutrients can, so that your soul can be revived. Second is this, do something you enjoy. That's the hobby part, right? 
something that is just a sheer, sheer joy to you. Maybe that's reading. Maybe it's fishing. Maybe, maybe you like to golf. If you like to golf, then find time to make sure it's getting cold now. But, but you know, unless, of course, your, your employment requires you to golf, then don't do that, right? Do something that has nothing to do with your job, right? Nothing to do with that. You need to find time to do something that you just enjoy. Thirdly is this, that, that you need to know yourself. If you're going to find rest, you need to do things in your Sabbath that actually, if you're an introvert, the last thing you need to do is be around a whole bunch of people on your day off, on your rest time, right? Because why? It's going to drain you and you're going to hate yourself, right? And you're going to hate life and, and you're going to blame your spouse for taking you to a party, right? Because this was our time, this was, right? This, and if you're an extrovert, don't try to have just, don't think that, you know, reviving myself and having Sabbath time means I need to just have a Bible and I need to be, worship needs to be a part of it. But don't try to rest like an introvert if you're an extrovert and don't try to rest like an extrovert if you're an introvert, right? We need to know ourselves and we need to put into practice rhythms that help breathe life into us, that help give us the rest that we need. Fourthly is this, and I, and I want to say this um, as clearly and yet also carefully as I can. Be careful with family. Don't assume that family time is always rest time. Okay? Um, especially if you have young families. Because kids, man, suck the life right out of you. Just kids, man. They just take so much work. They're fantastic. They're a joy. We celebrate them. But if you're going to have the deep soul rest, then some of you who are caregivers to young family, you need time away from your kids. You just do. So make sure it happens. Otherwise, your soul will be sucked dry. Be careful how much time. Don't assume that because, because grandparents are close or if you, those of you who are grandparents, that your kids always want to, and grandkids always want to see you. You're fantastic people, but they need a break. They do. If, they, if you live together, work it out. I don't know. I don't know how that works. <laughs> we just need to be very careful with family, and we just can't assume that it's always refreshing and wonderful by being together as a family. We need to be able to know, know yourself, know your family, talk about it, because your soul is at stake here. The rest, your rest is at stake. And finally this, understand, understand the season that you're in. For those, of, again, for those of you with young, young families, this will pass. <laughs> they will be able to go to the bathroom on their own someday. It'll be okay. But, there, but understand the season, it won't always be. For those of you who are CPAs, know that tax season's coming and it's a season where you're just gonna overwork. You just are because that's the requirement of the job. If right now you're still overworking or if in July you're, you're overworking, then maybe that's a problem. But during, during tax season, I get it. If you're starting a business, there may be two, three years where you're just gonna overwork, you know, but you need to have accountability. You need somebody who says, your soul is gonna dry up if you don't slow down. You need somebody in your life who you say, give me permission. I'm going to work hard for this season. We're going into it with our eyes wide open. But at the end, it's, it's going to stop here. It's going to end here so that we can rest. Because, because, because why? Because God loves you. 
because he made you and he knows what you need and he loves you and he is for you and he says, I'm guiding you in rest. I want you to abide in me so that I can lead you into a life of wisdom. So two questions and then I'm done. What is one thing that you need to stop doing this week so that you can rest? What's one thing you need to stop doing? You need to give up from doing this week so that you can take a step towards the rest that God has asked you to, has made you to have. Or, and then the second question is, what's one thing you need to start doing in order that you might be able to have the rest that God has called you into, that you might be able to abide in Christ and know the wisdom of the life that he's called you into? Let's pray. Father, we've come now and we've thought about uh, who we are, the way that you have made us, and all of these things. And Father, we've come, and all of us are running hard. All of us are in need of rest. All of us want to have not just rest as in sleep, but we need the deep soul rest that comes from abiding in you. So we, I pray that you will give each and every one of us wisdom to know one thing that we need to stop and one thing that we need to start. And maybe that means I just need to have a conversation with the people I live with to figure this out so that I can start being healthy and living the life that you've called us into. Father, we do this not just for our own benefit, not just for the benefit of those who are around us. We do this so that you can be glorified in the life that we lead because we want all that we do to bring praise and glory to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.